Uh, we are in 1 Samuel chapter 17 this morning, and it's, it's quite a long passage, so uh, we, let's get to it. Now the Philistines gathered their armies for battle, and they were gathered at Soko, which belongs to Judah, and encamped between Soko and Azekah, in Ephes Demim. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered and encamped in the valley of Elah, and drew up in line of battle against the Philistines. And the Philistines stood on the mountain on the one side, and Israel stood on the mountain on the other side, with a valley between them. And there came out from the camp of the Philistines a champion named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span, which is about nine feet nine inches. He had a helmet of bronze on his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail, and the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze. It's 125 pounds. And he had bronze armor on his legs and a javelin of bronze slung between his shoulders. And the shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and his spear's head weighed 600 shekels of iron. That's 15 pounds. And his shield bearer went before him. He stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why have you come out to draw up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? And are not you servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistines said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. <clears throat> now David was the son of an Aphrodite of Bethlehem in Judah named Jesse, who had eight sons. In the days of Saul, the man was already old and advanced in years, in years. The three oldest sons of Jesse had followed Saul to the battle, and the names of his three sons who went out to the battle were Eliab, the firstborn, and next to him Abinadab, and the third Shammah. And David was the youngest. The three eldest followed Saul, but David went back and forth from Saul to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. For 40 days, the Philistines came forward and took his stand morning and evening. And Jesse said to David his son, Take for your brothers an ephah of this, porched, of this parched grain and these ten loaves, and carry them quickly to the camp to your brothers. Also take these ten cheeses to the commander of their thousand. See if your brothers are well, and bring some token from them. Now Saul and they and all the men of Israel were in the valley of Elah, fighting with the Philistines. And David rose early in the morning and left the sheep with a keeper, and took the provisions and went as Jesse had commanded him. And he came to the encampment as the host was going out to the battle line, shouting the war cry. And Israel and the Philistines drew up for battle, army against army. And David left the things in charge of the keeper of the baggage and ran to the ranks and went and greeted his brothers. As he talked with them, behold, the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, came up out of the ranks of the Philistines and spoke the same words as before. And David heard him. <clears throat> All the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were much afraid. And the men of Israel said, Have you seen this man who has come up? Surely he has come up to defy Israel. 
and the king will enrich the man who kills him with great riches and will give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. And David said to the men who stood by him, what shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And the people answered him in the same way, so shall it be done to the man who kills him. Now Eliav, his oldest brother, when he heard, uh, heard when he spoke to the men, and Eliav's anger was kindled against David, and he said, why have you come down? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your presumption and the evil of your heart, for you have come down to see the battle. And David said, what have I done now? Was it not but a word? And he turned away from him toward another and spoke in the same way. And the people answered him again as before. When the words that David spoke were heard, they repeated them before Saul, and he sent for him. And David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, you are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are but a youth, and he has been a man of war from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he rose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears. And this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. And David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let's pray. Father, in this, what is to some of us a very familiar story, I pray that you would help us to see the riches of your grace in this text. Guide me as I preach. May your words fall on our hearts and strengthen us and move us toward faith and obedience as only your spirit can. So we pray that you would work in us today in this time. Amen. Amen. Well, it was quite the text. I was joking with someone earlier and they noticed how long it was that I was just going to read the text and then sit down. And this story is so artfully told that it almost preaches itself. You get a sense just from the flow of the narrative and the, the vivid dialogue and the imagery in these larger-than-life uh, characters exactly what the story wants you to come away thinking about, which is the courage and the zeal of David. This is a powerful story, and there's a reason that it's one of the most well-known Bible or well-known stories in the Bible, even outside of the church. And if you're familiar with the story, you may be wondering, why are we cutting the head of the story off, so to speak, and only going up until, you know, it gets to the good part? And the answer is, there is quite a bit to this story, and so we're going to be taking it in two parts. And since I'm preaching the first half, I am narrowing my focus around this question. What brought David to the point where he could stand with confidence before Goliath? Why does David step forward 
when others cower. In short, where does David get his zeal? Zeal is not a word that we use very often, but you find it throughout the Bible, and you can think of zeal as holy ambition, eager desire for the Lord and for the honor of the Lord that manifests itself in action and in courage. And I don't know about you, but I would put zeal toward the bottom of biblical qualities that I think about often and even further down the list of biblical qualities that I feel that I embody. Perhaps, like me, you often lack zeal and you wish you didn't. You wish you had more zeal. You know that God is king. You want others to know that God is king. You want to stake your life on it, but perhaps for fear or apathy or doubt or weariness of soul, you lack zeal. So where do we get zeal? Where does zeal come from? Today we'll see where David's zeal comes from. And in particular, I just want to show you two sources of David's zeal, two, two sources or pillars of his zeal. One, that David looks beyond appearances. And second, David looks back on the Lord's deliverance. So David looks beyond appearances and David looks back on the Lord's deliverance. And then we'll move on to another point from there, but I'm going to keep that veiled for the moment. So let's look into David's sources of zeal. The first one, David looks beyond appearances. Where others saw a giant, David saw an uncircumcised Philistine, an enemy of Yahweh, the living God. And in many ways, appearance and appearances have been a major theme of the narrative of 1 Samuel up until this point. So take, for example, King Saul. He has the looks of a king in that he's a head taller than all of his peers. But as the story unfolds, we see that he does not have the heart of the king. He looks the part, but he does not play it. Or when Samuel goes to the house of Jesse to anoint one of his sons to be king. Samuel expects, and everyone would expect, that it would be the firstborn. But it's not the firstborn, and it's not the secondborn, it's not the thirdborn, it's the youngest, the eighth, who Jesse hasn't even lined up in the house to, to come forward. He has to tell Samuel, oh, he's out, oh, he's out keeping the sheep. I'm gonna move this. Again, appearances, the, the, they don't add up. And then we have here another contrast of appearances, David and Goliath. The narrator takes great pains to highlight the differences in their appearance. When it comes to Goliath, he is presented as a menace and a true threat. Aside from the description of the risen Lord in Revelation, I'm not sure there is a more detailed description of a human figure in all the scriptures than this one. It's like we see the camera pan from head to toe. Goliath, you know, he's nine foot nine. He's larger than life. Have you ever, I don't know if you've ever seen a pro athlete in real life, but they walk by and you're just like, that's not a real person. You know, they're just larger than life. And here's this, this giant, larger than life. And he's dressed head to toe in bronze. He's wearing over 125 pounds worth of bronze, and he has a huge 
spear with the 15-pound iron head on the end of it. He's scary. And he shouts at the men of Israel, and they scurry away like little scared children. And even Saul, the king of Israel, is afraid. And at the end of this description of Goliath, here's this line from him. He says, give me a man that we may fight together. And then the narrative shifts. Now David was the son of an Aphrodite. David, the youth, is presented to us by the narrator as the man to step forward to fight Goliath. Just as David was the man in our last chapter to step forward when Saul asked for a man to come and play the liar. And what we read in our text is that David's role in this battle, he's basically a gopher. He goes for this, he goes for that. He is, he's a Grubhub delivery guy, basically, bringing food from home to the battlefield. He's at home watching sheep and taking care of his aging father, and his only role is to bring grain and bread to his brothers and cheese to their commander, which I think is perhaps a subtle bribe from Jesse to the commander to keep his sons safe. Jesse is concerned for the safety of his sons because they are in a true threat. And so the narrator, for dramatic effect, is temporarily adopting the perspective that appearances matter to heighten the contrast between what the naked eye sees and what the spiritual eye sees. The naked eye sees a child essentially, a youth against a giant. Or as Saul puts it, a youth and a man of war since his youth. But what does the spiritual eye see? What does David's eyes see? Well, here's how he says it. He says, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Where others see a giant, David sees a pagan who dares to stand against Yahweh, the living God. And so David sees that this is not merely a battle between him and a giant, or even between Israel and the Philistines, but between the God of Israel, the living God, and the God of the Philistines, whose name is Dagon. And you might remember uh, Dagon from chapter 5. So this is a really great story when the Philistines had captured the Ark of God and they brought it into the temple of their god, Dagon. So you've got two gods dwelling in one tent. Well, they go into the tent the next morning and the statue of Dagon has fallen down on its face before the Ark of the Lord as if it's bowing. And so they set it back up and they come back the next day And not only is the statue fallen again, but its head has been cut off and its hands and its feet. What has happened? Yahweh has done battle against a lesser God. Yahweh has said, I will not share a tent with you. And he destroys him. He cuts off his head. And this is why David was unafraid of Goliath. He did not see a giant. He saw, and he uses this phrase three times, an uncircumcised Philistine. And so David looks beyond appearances. He sees with spiritual eyes and recognizes who has the true advantage. It's the army of the living God. And he is zealous for this God who has shown himself time and again stronger than Israel's strongest enemy. 
and he will not have this God mocked. Now, there is application here for us, but I want to suspend that for a bit and keep going because there is more we need to see before we can properly apply David's zeal to our lives. And so we've just looked at the first source of David's zeal, that he looks past appearances. The second source is that he looks back on God's deliverance. He looks back on God's deliverance. And I'm getting this from the end of our passage when David tells a story from his shepherding days. And I just love this part of the narrative. He says, your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear and took from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And he rose against me. Or, and if he rose against me, I caught him by his beard and I struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. What a powerful speech. I can almost see this in a movie as a dramatic point where the tide of confidence shifts. Here is David kneeling in Saul's tent, basically as Saul's last resort. The standoff between the two armies is going, has been going on for 40 days. It's time for either someone to face the giant or for the armies to fight and incur a lot of bloodshed. And here's David in this tent. Maybe there's a couple officers around and no one in the tent thinks David is up to the task. And David says, let me tell you a story. When I was a kid alone in the woods, taking care of my father's sheep, sometimes a lion or a bear would come from one of them. And I'm telling you, I wouldn't let them drag my sheep away. I went after them, I grabbed them by the mane, and I killed them. And this is like that. I've been here before. God delivered me then, and he will deliver me now. My father's sheep need rescuing again. And so David was able to step forward with zeal because he remembered God's past deliverance and was confident that the Lord would act again. Now here, again, we could turn and say, well, let's be like David. Let's look beyond appearances and let's look back on God's deliverance. And with these two tactics, we can generate enough zeal to take on the giants in our lives. But we need to, we need to ask ourselves a question. Which character in this story are we to identify with? Are we David or are we someone else? Let me show you why we are not David and why that's good news. And so if you want to give this next and final section a heading, you can call it David Steps Forward as God's Anointed. David Steps Forward as God's Anointed. It's important that we read the Bible in context. And a question to ask of any story in a book of the Bible is, why is this story here? Why is it where it is? What is it doing in the narrative movement of the book? Well, where have we been lately? In chapter 15, so two chapters ago, we saw that Saul was rejected as king. He had transgressed against the Lord yet again. And the Lord said, all right, final straw. I'm done. New king. And Samuel tells Saul, tells Saul, the Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you this day and has given it to a neighbor of yours who is better than you. 
And in the next chapter, David is anointed as that new king. And listen to verses 13 and 14 of chapter 16, and notice the shift of the Holy Spirit from Saul to David. So here we are at David's anointing. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and appointed him in the midst of his, uh, anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. And Samuel went up, rose up, and went to Ramah. Now the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and a harmful spirit of the Lord tormented him. So what are we seeing there? We are seeing the king, the kingship shift. The Spirit leaves Saul and descends on David. And what the next two narratives do is confirm that that anointing took, that it worked, that it worked. Saul asks for a man to come forward and play the liar. David is brought forward. Now the Philistine asks for a man to come and fight, and David rises up and says, I will fight. David is the king who is better than Saul. This battle with Goliath is the origin story of David's kingship. This is his star day, so to speak, that shows that the Lord is with him. This story is saying that God's anointing on David was successful. The Spirit rushed upon David such that he could stand against Goliath. And though it's speculation, I wonder if God kept David alive when he was fighting lions and bears in the forest as a kid because the Lord was preserving for Israel the Redeemer David. And so David is better than Saul. And yet David himself is but a shadow of a better king. Earlier this week, I mentioned to a friend of mine that I was preaching this passage, and he said, be sure to talk about how the Hebrew word for bronze, which is what Goliath is dressed in head to toe with, sounds like the Hebrew, Hebrew word for serpent. And sure enough, they do sound alike. And this comes from the work of a Bible scholar named Brian Verrett. These two words in Hebrew share the same three consonants. So serpent is nahash, and bronze is nahashet. So the three consonants, nahash, they share these three. Why does this matter? In Genesis 3, the Lord says that the seed of a woman is going to arise and crush the head of the serpent. And as the Bible unfolds, it makes clear that that person is Jesus, who rises from the seed of the woman, defeats the power of the evil one. Well, here is another king defeating an enemy of the Lord who's dressed in scaly bronze, perhaps intentionally cast as a kind of serpent. David steps forward at the proper time to defeat this serpent-like enemy, Goliath, and bring deliverance to God's people and secure for his household a place in the royal throne. Because one of the Rewards for defeating Goliath was that David and his whole household would be free. My friends, does that sound familiar? If you know the story of our redemption in Jesus Christ, you know that that is what Jesus has done for us. Jesus is the better David, the shepherd who steps forward at the proper time to, to save his sheep, to defeat a giant that you and I could never take on, and so give deliverance to God's people and freedom to those in his family, to those who believe in him and are thus adopted into his family by the Holy Spirit. And so we come back to this question we started the section with, who are we in this story? 
If we believe in Christ, we are David's family who gets freedom. And we are the men of Israel who in verse 52, after David has killed Goliath, rise with a great shout and pursue their enemies as far as Gath. We are those who are given freedom and courage and zeal by Christ's victory. And so, yes, we should look past appearances and see with spiritual eyes. And we should remember God's deliverance to give us confidence to face hard things. And those things will help. But friends, the call of this passage is not to be better. It's to believe in a king that is better than you. It is to believe in a king that by grace gives you zeal. By grace has given you a victory. And by grace, you have the spirit of that better king living in you and forming his zeal in you. And so, yes, be zealous. But link your zeal to the right end of that chain. Believe in Christ. Rejoice in his victory. Remember his goodness. Commune with him. And then we go out with zeal because he has done great things and we belong to him. Let's pray. Father, you are, you are good. And your story of redemption is marvelous. Thank you, Lord, for bringing forth a king for us at the proper time to save us from our enemy that we could never battle against ourselves. You were kind and gracious. Stir zeal in our hearts through the power of your Holy Spirit who puts the character of Christ in our hearts and forms us after his image. We praise you and we thank you for this. We pray all things in your son's name. Amen. Amen.